Mic on. Greetings, folks. This is Joseph again, and this time our presentation is from. Mic off. Mic on. Patriarchs and Prophets. The title is. Mic off. Mic on. David at Ziklag. Mic off. Chapter 68. David at Ziklag. This chapter is based on 1 Samuel 29, chapter 30, and 2 Samuel 1. David and his men had not taken part in the battle between Saul and the Philistines, though they had marched with the Philistines to the field of conflict. As the two armies prepared to join battle, the son of Jesse found himself in a situation of great perplexity. It was expected that he would fight for the Philistines. Should he, in the engagement, quit the post assigned him and retire from the field, he would not only brand himself with cowardice, but with ingratitude and treachery to Achish who had protected him and confided in him. Such an act would cover his name with infamy and would expose him to the wrath of enemies more to be feared than Saul. Yet he could not for a moment consent to fight against Israel. Should he do this, he would become a traitor to his country, the enemy of God and of his people. It would forever bar his way to the throne of Israel. And should Saul be slain in the engagement, his death would be charged upon David. David was caused to feel that he had missed his path. Far better would it have been for him to find refuge in God's strong fortresses of the mountains than with the avowed enemies of Jehovah and his people. But the Lord in his great mercy did not punish this error of his servant by leaving him to himself in his distress and perplexity. For though David, losing his grasp upon divine power, had faltered and turned aside from the path of strict integrity, it was still the purpose of his heart to be true to God. While Satan and his host were busy helping the adversaries of God and of Israel to plan against a king who had forsaken God, the angels of the Lord were working to deliver David from the peril into which he had fallen. Heavenly messengers moved upon the Philistine princes to protest against the presence of David and his force with the army in the approaching conflict. What do these Hebrews here? cried the Philistine lords, pressing about Achish. The latter, unwilling to part with so important an ally, answered, Is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me until this day? But the princes angrily persisted in their demand, Make this fellow return that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands, and David his ten thousands? 
The slaughter of their famed champion and the triumph of Israel upon that occasion were still fresh in the memory of the Philistine lords. They did not believe that David would fight against his own people, and should he, in the heat of battle, take sides with them, he could inflict greater harm on the Philistines than would the whole of Saul's army. Thus Achish was forced to yield, and calling David, said unto him, Surely as Jehovah liveth, thou hast been upright, and thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Nevertheless the Lord's favor thee not. Wherefore now return, and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. David, fearing to betray his real feelings, answered, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servants, so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? The reply of Achish must have sent a thrill of shame and remorse through David's heart, as he thought how unworthy of a servant of Jehovah were the deceptions to which he had stooped. I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God, said the king. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Wherefore now rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee, and as soon as ye be up early in the morning, and have light, depart. Thus the snare in which David had become entangled was broken, and he was set free. After three days' travel, David and his band of six hundred men reached Ziklag, their Philistine home. But a scene of desolation met their view. The Amalekites, taking advantage of David's absence with his force, had avenged themselves for his incursions into their territory. They had surprised the city while it was left unguarded, and having sacked and burned it, had departed, taking all the women and children as captives with much spoil. Dumb with horror and amazement, David and his men for a little time gazed in silence upon the blackened and smoldering ruins. Then, as a sense of their terrible desolation burst upon them, those battle-scarred warriors lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Here again David was chastened for the lack of faith that had led him to place himself among the Philistines. He had opportunity to see how much safety could be found among the foes of God and his people. David's followers turned upon him as the cause of their calamities. He had provoked the vengeance of the Amalekites by his attack upon them. Yet, too confident of security in the midst of his enemies, he had left the city unguarded. Maddened with grief and rage, his soldiers were now ready for any desperate measures, and they threatened even to stone their leader. David seemed to be cut off from every human support. All that he held dear on earth had been swept from him. Saul had driven him from his country. The Philistines had driven him from the camp. The Amalekites had plundered his city. His wives and children had been made prisoners, and his own familiar friends had banded against him and threatened him even with death. In this hour of utmost extremity, David, instead of permitting his mind to dwell upon these painful circumstances, looked earnestly to God for help. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He reviewed his past eventful life. Wherein had the Lord ever forsaken him? His soul was refreshed in recalling the many evidences of God's favor.
The followers of David, by their discontent and impatience, made their affliction doubly grievous. But the man of God, having even greater cause for grief, bore himself with fortitude. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalm 56, verse 3, was the language of his heart. Though he himself could not discern a way out of the difficulty, God could see it and would teach him what to do. Sending for Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, David inquired of the Lord, saying, If I pursue after this troop, shall I overtake them? The answer was, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and shalt without fail recover all. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, Revised Version. At these words the tumult of grief and passion ceased. David and his soldiers at once set out in pursuit of their fleeing foe. So rapid was their march that upon reaching the brook Besor, which empties near Gaza into the Mediterranean Sea, two hundred of the band were compelled by exhaustion to remain behind. But David with the remaining four hundred pressed forward, nothing daunted. Advancing, they came upon an Egyptian slave, apparently about to perish from weariness and hunger. Upon receiving food and drink, however, he revived, and they learned that he had been left to die by his cruel master, an Amalekite belonging to the invading force. He told the story of the raid and pillage, and then, having exacted a promise that he should not be slain or delivered to his master, he consented to lead David's company to the camp of their enemies. As they came in sight of the encampment, a scene of revelry met their gaze. The victorious hosts were holding high festival. They were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. An immediate attack was ordered, and the pursuers rushed fiercely upon their prey. The Amalekites were surprised and thrown into confusion. The battle was continued all that night and the following day until nearly the entire host was slain. Only a band of four hundred men, mounted upon camels, succeeded in making their escape. The word of the Lord was fulfilled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. When David had invaded the territory of the Amalekites, he had put to the sword all of the inhabitants that fell into his hands. But for the restraining power of God, the Amalekites would have retaliated by destroying the people of Ziklag. They decided to spare the captives, desiring to heighten the honor of the triumph by leading home a large number of prisoners, and intending afterward to sell them as slaves. Thus unwittingly they fulfilled God's purpose, keeping the prisoners unharmed to be restored to their husbands and fathers. All earthly powers are under the control of the Infinite One. To the mightiest ruler, to the most cruel oppressor, he says, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. Job chapter 38, verse 11. God's power is constantly exercised to counteract the agencies of evil. He is ever at work among men, not for their destruction, but for their correction and preservation. 
With great rejoicing, the victors took up their homeward march. Upon reaching their companions who had remained behind, the more selfish and unruly of the four hundred urged that those who had had no part in the battle should not share the spoils. That it was enough for them to recover each his wife and children. But David would permit no such arrangement. Ye shall not do so, my brethren, he said, with that which the Lord hath given us. As his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. Thus the matter was settled, and it afterward became a statute in Israel that all who were honorably connected with the military campaign should share the spoils equally with those who engaged in actual combat. Besides recovering all the spoil that had been taken from Ziklag, David and his band had captured extensive flocks and herds belonging to the Amalekites. These were called David's spoil, and upon returning to Ziklag, he sent from this spoil presents to the elders of his own tribe of Judah. In this distribution, all those were remembered who had befriended him and his followers in the mountain fastnesses when he had been forced to flee from place to place for his life. Their kindness and sympathy, so precious to the hunted fugitive, were thus gratefully acknowledged. It was the third day since David and his warriors returned to Ziklag. As they labored to restore their ruined homes, they watched with anxious hearts for tidings of the battle which they knew must have been fought between Israel and the Philistines. Suddenly, a messenger entered the town, with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. He was at once brought to David, before whom he bowed with reverence, expressing recognition of him as a powerful prince, whose favor he desired. David eagerly inquired how the battle had gone. The fugitive reported Saul's defeat and death, and the death of Jonathan. But he went beyond a simple statement of facts. Evidently supposing that David must cherish enmity toward his relentless persecutor, the stranger hoped to secure honor to himself as a slayer of the king. With an air of boasting, the man went on to relate that during the battle he found the monarch of Israel wounded, and sore pressed by his foes, and that at his own request the messenger had slain him. The crown from his head and the golden bracelets from his arm he had brought to David. He confidently expected that these tidings would be hailed with joy, and that a rich reward would be his for the part that he had acted. But David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until even, for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. The first shock of the fearful tidings passed, David's thoughts returned to the stranger herald, and the crime of which, according to his own statement, he was guilty. The chief demanded of the young man, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Twice David had had Saul in his power, but when urged to slay him, he had refused to lift his hand against him, who had been consecrated by the command of God to rule over Israel. Yet the Amalekite feared not to boast that he had slain the king of Israel. He had accused himself of a crime worthy of death, 
and the penalty was inflicted at once. David said, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. David's grief at the death of Saul was sincere and deep, evincing the generosity of a noble nature. He did not exult in the fall of his enemy. The obstacle that had barred his access to the throne of Israel was removed, but at this he did not rejoice. Death had obliterated the remembrance of Saul's distrust and cruelty, and now nothing in his history was thought of but that which was noble and kingly. The name of Saul was linked with that of Jonathan, whose friendship had been so true and so unselfish. The song in which David gave utterance to the feelings of his heart became a treasure to his nation and to the people of God in all subsequent ages. Thy glory, O Israel, is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen! Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, neither fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was vilely cast away, the shield of Saul as of one not anointed with oil. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet delicately, who put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain upon thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished? Second Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 to 27 in the Revised Version. Mic on. Well, that's all for now. Till next time, God bless you and bye-bye. Mic off.